0: So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk on um, Acts chapter 4. You can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 29. That's where we will eventually get to. Let's talk, we're going to talk about a prayer that shook a city. How many of you, um, you hear the word prayer and you're like, ugh, just makes you feel like a failure. Anybody be honest and say that? Um, I used to feel that way all the time. Then I figured out that prayer is just hanging out with God. He just likes to hang out with us. And so we're going to talk today about a prayer that shook a city, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And then, just so you know, at the end of the message, we are going to pray the prayer that will shake our city. Okay? I'm just giving you a heads up. So at the end, when I call you to engage, you won't be like, ooh, I wasn't ready for that. So just know that's where we're headed, okay? At the end of the service, we're going to pray the same prayer that we're going to talk about today, the prayer that shook a city. Um, I am a sports fan. Uh, I love especially football, probably because of my playing days. (laughs) Just seeing who's listening. I did try to play college football and I became the manager of the football team. That's how that worked out. But I I love team sports especially because there's so much you can learn about team sports. So I'm listening to a biography right now, maybe it's an autobiography, about Steve Young. Now, if you're not a football fan, you're gonna be like, Steve who? Um, Steve Young played quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, and he was the backup quarterback to Joe Montana. Maybe you've heard of Joe Montana. Arguably one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. I mean, now we've seen Tom Brady and Cam, so obviously (laughs) Joe would be third on the list, I guess. Um, but Joe Montana was a four-time Super Bowl champion, um, NFL MVP. And actually, when Steve Young went to the San Francisco 49ers, he was promised that he would be the starter. It's just that when he got there, Joe Montana, who was in the twilight of his career, then had his two best years ever. And so Joe, uh, Steve Young's just like, what in the world's going on? And, and at the beginning of the book, he talks about his dad. He talks about how like his dad was just a great father, But he was a dad right like he would say the hard things to steve young and so early in his career um, i believe it was when he was in college at byu things weren't going quite like he expected and so he tells the story of calling his dad and this is what he said to his dad on the phone hey dad i'm gonna quit and come home and his dad said well you can quit but you can't come home and steve young said why he said because i don't live with quitters Like that, that's such a dad thing to say, isn't it? And I thought about like, we've we. please don't tweet this. Okay. Just let me talk. We've become such a soft generation that we don't know how to hear a word like that without saying, Oh, like that's, and I'm not, that's, that's too, that's harsh. That's Hard, it's, that's abusive. Like, I'm not trying to make light of the word abuse. That's a, that's a legitimate thing. But when everything hard is called abuse, we don't know how to receive a hard word. Does that make sense? Proverbs 27, 6 says this, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It actually compares the wounds of a friend to the kisses of an enemy. And I, th- I thought it's interesting that we'd rather be kissed by an enemy than cut by a friend. Now, now, dads can cut, right? Am I the only one? Like, dads can cut. They just have this way of saying things. Um, I can't, it's hard to picture, like, a mom with chocolate chip cookies saying, suck it up, buttercup, right? But it's not hard for me to picture a dad saying, suck it up, buttercup, right? It's just kind of a dad thing. That's why I, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4.15, and, and we're, I'm, I'm going to lead us to the verse in Acts. I'm going to lead us to the prayer that shook a nation first Corinthians 4 15 Paul said that the Corinthian believers had many teachers but few fathers they were always learning but never applying and dads don't let us get away with that one of my favorite clips from Francis Chan um he talks about how we should apply the word of God and so he says would you dad's like can you imagine if you told your daughter to go clean her room and she went away to her room and then she came back, like, you know, 20, 30 minutes later, and you said, well, I, I, did you get your room clean? And she said this, no, I didn't clean my room. But I, I learned the, the Greek word for clean. And I got a, I got a group together, and we studied what it, what cleaning the room would look like biblically. But I learned a lot about cleaning the room. But he's like, but, but did you clean the room? No, I didn't clean it. We talked a lot about it. And Francis Chan's point is like, it's the obedience that pleases the Father, not all the learning that we do. We have many teachers but few fathers. That is that's a mark on this generation, isn't it? Listen, in case you haven't figured this out yet, you can find much better preaching on a podcast than what I'm giving you right now. But you'll, you've got to be a part of a family where you allow fathers to speak truth into your life. You can listen to a podcast that will help you understand why it's so hard for you to make your bed, but you actually need a dad to say, make the bed. And I'll teach you how, like to make the quarter something on the bed, right? Like you have many teachers, but you have few fathers. We're always learning, but we're never applying. Dads call us to something greater than only doing something halfway. Can somebody say amen to that? if it's worth doing right all right it's like that's our dad's like you you do something halfway and your dad's going to say um go do that again well if you have a dad that loves you there he's going to say go do that again that's what fathers do and our heavenly father is no different he knows that the point of the bible isn't just to learn it but to live it as well that was kind of a thing in our in In our house, I would say, like, to the kids, like, what's the point of the Bible? The point of the Bible is to learn it and to live it. Now I've gotten older, I would say it's also to love it, right? But the point of the Bible is not just to read it and learn it, but to then do it. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them, right? And I just keep thinking, like, dads are the best at making sure we actually do it. So when Jesus told the disciples to wait for the gift, when he told them to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, they would have known that it wasn't just to make them better learners, but it was to make them better livers. <laughs> that sounded so weird. I'm just one big liver, right? He said, I need you to go wait. We've read, this, we've read these scriptures. This is at the end of Luke. I need you to go wait for the promise. Like I'm sending you out. We talked about the great commission and the great submission, right? I told you, I want you to go and and I want you to make disciples of the whole world. Wherever you go, I want you to make disciples. So before you go do that, which is huge, before you do that, I'm going to need you to wait. I need you to wait to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And they would have never heard that in the context of, oh, I just need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit so I can have a better life with Jesus. Some of us want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit so we can finally understand the Bible. Or so we can finally, like, feel it when we sing worship songs. That's not the point of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit was given to us so that we would be His witnesses. Move outward. So when they heard Jesus say, wait for the gift, they would have known, oh, the word of God. Learn it, live it. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit so that I can then go do what he's empowering me to do. Matthew 28. I'll be with you wherever you go. Fulfill the commission. Acts 1.8. Whether it's close to home or whether it's the ends of the earth, I will be with you. The power of the Holy Spirit moves us. But it also keeps us moving, right? So it's not just it's not just a starting power, but it's a sustaining power. How many of you you've you've been serving Jesus long enough? You'd be honest enough to admit that sometimes it feels like, what am I doing? Right? We start thinking back to like, oh, remember? I remember youth camp when. The, that youth pastor was speaking, and he gave that altar call. And I was, so, I was so caught up in that moment. I was so in love with Jesus. I just, I, I literally, it's a true testimony, I jumped over chairs to get to the altar. I think I, like, made people trip, and I was, like, kicking, literally just to get to the altar. I just wanted so desperately what he was preaching about. And now I find myself on the front row sometimes, and I'm just like, I mean, I, do I have to go to the front? I was like, where's that zeal that I had before, Right? And sometimes we think, if I could just get back to that place, and you don't need to get back to that place. What we need is we need to be refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the power of the Holy Spirit didn't just, wasn't given to us just so we could start, but that we would be sustained all the way through. He moves us, and then he keeps us moving. So when I read Acts, do y'all ever read Acts? You should read the book of Acts. You should read it, and you should start saying to God things like this. Ooh, what would church look like like today? What would church look like if it was like that? Like, what would happen? Like, how, what, could you do that again, God? The book of Acts is fascinating, but when I read it, it's easy for me to think that the disciples, they knew that they were going to be led by the Holy Spirit. So I ask questions like, well, if the Holy Spirit is going to lead us, then where does the Holy Spirit lead us? Has anybody ever asked that question? I have an answer. Not Hawaii. <laughs> Yet. We're still praying, right? If God calls us to plant the gathering Honolulu, we're all going to go, right? And we'll find people to stay here, but we'll all go be the, the people that plant that campus And we'll suffer for Jesus there. I've already dressed in faith, ready to go, right? (laughs) Yes, I receive that. (laughs) When I read Acts, it's easy to see that they were led. But here's what I always think. That as the Holy Spirit led the church in the book of Acts, they they were led to one of two things. They were either led to opportunity or they were led to opposition. Now, if you've read the book of Acts and you, you're, you're already like, yeah, I see that, right? They're either preaching and thousands are coming to the church or they're in jail. Doesn't it seem like that? There's not a lot of middle ground. So I've always, I've always kind of read the book of Acts with that in mind. Oh, I, they're either being led to opportunity or to opposition. But then I read a prayer that they prayed and it changed everything. And it changed and challenged the way that I see acts in the way that I see my life and I'm praying it does the same for you as well Acts 4 verse 29 now Lord that's the cue that they're praying Lord now Lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness can I read that again Oh, can we do this? Can we stand when I read that again? And while I read it again, I'm going to just give you a little heads up, a little jump start. You know, this is the prayer that we're going to pray at the end of the service. You don't have to wait till the end. I want you to feel, I'm going I'm to talk to you for a little bit longer, try to lead you to the place where you see the gravity of this prayer. Because we're Americans, right? So we have prayers on posters and coffee mugs. like, But they... They were in a specific situation, and they prayed this prayer as a response to what God had brought them to. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And then they continued, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of the holy servant Jesus, and just before you sit down, and we continue, listen to what happened after they prayed that prayer. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God, I'm asking today that you would do in us what you did in the church there. That you would shake this place Fill us, God, with the power of your Holy Spirit so that we will speak the word of God boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Now, listen, I'm not planning. Don't be scared of pastors that say this. I'm not planning on talking to you much longer, okay? I just want to get you through the history of what was going on in the context of this passage, of this prayer. And then I want us to pray that prayer, okay? I I am becoming much more bold about calling you to action, right? And I don't do that to make you feel bad or to, like, highlight the people who don't feel like they need to make, make a decision. But I am not just going to preach the word and then, like, all right, see you, right? Like, we need to respond to the word. And so I can't—I personally cannot read that verse 29. I can't read their prayer and go— that's cool. I'm reading it like God, I want I want that to be my prayer. Okay? So if I want that to be my prayer, we need to talk through quickly what got them to the place where they prayed that prayer, okay? So, Acts chapter 2, you know the the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, and his preaching immediately takes a turn, right? It's so in your face. It's like, I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable, but Peter would like, look at those people. And he was like, yeah, the Jesus that you killed, like he was calling them out. This is the same Peter that denied Jesus three times. He's calling them out. That, not just some Jesus, but the Jesus, and not just the Jesus that that person over there killed, but, you know, you killed him. And he's been raised. And this is that that you're seeing today. This is the promise. That comes after the penalty for our sins has been paid. After access has been given to the Father, this is the Holy Spirit that was promised to be poured out. This is that. And it came because you killed Jesus. And he, he, he talks about you killed, you killed, you handed him over. And then in Acts chapter 3, he's, he's on his way to the temple with his buddy John. And he sees a crippled person. That, that guy says, like, give me some money. And he says, you've probably heard this quote. As silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the Bible says he took that man's hand and he lifted him up before he got healed. So make sure you get this. Like, We'd be like forming a committee to pray about whether or not that's possible. And he just said, get up. Now, we don't have time to go down this trail, but when I came back from India on my first trip and saw such extreme poverty and such extreme power in the church, Jesus showed me that verse, and he said, See, the problem with the American church is if, if somebody asks you for silver or gold, you have it. So you give them what you have. And if, if Peter and John had had money, well, here's your, here's your coins. And God had to get them to the place where they were empty. And they, they could literally say, I don't have what you're asking for, but I think I have what you didn't ask for that you really need. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, right? Right. So we have to get to the place where we're empty enough to just have the power flow through us. Everybody loves that. Nobody likes to get emptied, myself included, right? So they they heal. They see this man healed. And that act alone, if you follow all the way through Acts chapter 3, that act gets them in front of the leaders of the church. And they get persecuted, right? They're called to account. And they're told to not speak in the name of Jesus any longer. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that they said to them, look, you judge for yourselves whether we should listen to you or listen to God, but we're going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus. We, 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 in America, we take that verse and we make it a rebellion verse. Well, I'm going to obey God, not you. Boy, don't use this mic after me. It wasn't a rebellious verse. It was a look. Y'all go ahead and debate among yourselves whether you think we should obey you or God. But we're going to obey God. But Work it out, y'all. And whatever you need to do to us, do it. But we're going to obey God. And we're going to continue to preach in the name of Jesus. And that was the issue. They were like, do not preach in the name of Jesus any longer. Something about the name of Jesus was causing disruption. It was causing opposition. And so they were called to account for that. They said, look, we're going to go ahead and continue to preach with boldness in that name. The name of Jesus, you know, the guy that you killed. They're telling the religious leaders this. There's no hint of fear. They're not trying to be jerks about it. They're just saying flat out, we're going to continue to preach the name of Jesus boldly. so they leave that place they go back and they meet with the other apostles the other followers of jesus and in that place they begin to pray they just left basically court they know they're going to be persecuted because they were told not to speak in that name and they said well we're going to keep speaking in that name so they know what's coming they've read the room and as they're headed to meet with the other apostles and the rest of the church, they start to pray, and that's where we find the prayer that you and I just prayed. And my question to you, my question to myself is, is that the prayer that we would have prayed? Knowing that we were just arrested, that we're going to be arrested again, is this the prayer that we would have prayed? Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the what name of your holy servant Jesus they like they just said look continue to do it in the name of Jesus the name that they told us not to say like we don't want to be like hiding it from them we want you to do it clearly so they know it's your name and my question is like would we pray that prayer with the last two and a half years of pressure on the church Does it prove that we would have prayed that prayer? Or would we have done what most Christians do? Beg God to get us out of the very situation he led us into. Well, this is opposition, God. And opposition can't be from you. I'm looking for an opportunity. And what I want you to see, the reason why this prayer changes the way that I see acts, and I'm praying it changes the way I live my life. They didn't see anywhere in the early church where God led them into opposition. All they saw was opportunity. They didn't try to. Th- they didn't try to figure out: well, is this? Is this opposition or is this opportunity? Is this bad or is this good? They just said, "Hey, God, consider their threats." And now enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Basically, they're going to arrest us. They're going to put us on a platform in front of a whole bunch of people. God, when we get to that place, what an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus boldly. I mean, you ever watch, nobody watches C-SPAN because that's boring, right? Um, Maybe one person in here does watch (laughs) C-SPAN, right? But like you ever watch trials on C-SPAN? Do you ever, like, you know, I I can get a little bit of anxiety, right? A little thinking like being on the spotlight can kind of mess with me a little bit. Sometimes I get anxious watching it for the people, right? Like they're sitting there and like there's this panel of people and they're talking to them and they're asking them questions. It never feels nice, right? It always feels like attack mode. Can you imagine sitting in that seat knowing that, Whatever you've been accused of has captured the attention, not only the panel that you're talking to, but an entire nation. And you know it's coming. You know what I'll be praying? God, make me invisible. Send somebody else. Help me not to go blah, 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 on national television. Help me not to soil myself. Right? There's so many things that come to mind. But what they prayed was, oh, God, now consider their threats and enable us to speak the word of God boldly. Like you've given me a great opportunity. The whole world is watching. I get to speak to a nation and in that moment, help me say Jesus. I don't know if I'm communicating this clearly or not, but are you challenged? Because I'm challenged. I'm, I'm, we're so soft, y'all, that we don't want those moments. But the church was like, if that's the opportunity, then help me to see the opportunity in opposition. Like step into that place and simply say, God, do what you want to do. Listen, the Spirit leads us to hard things and hard people in hard places. Just jot these down Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, that Jesus, y'all know Jesus? Was led into the desert by the Spirit of God. Oh, God would never ask me to do something hard. <laughs> if you want to be like Jesus, right? You're going to get led into some places. Read the whole book of of Acts and just see how many times the disciples are led to a world that would hate them. Jesus had told them in John chapter 15 verses 18 through 21, this world, if it hates you, it's because it hated me first. This world will hate you. Now go into the world, (laughs) right? When I was one story, and then we'll finish up because this requires trust. And I'll just say this uh, story about my dad because it's Father's Day. When I was youth pastoring, I started um, this this nonprofit called that youth thing, and it sound that sounds superficial. It, I wasn't that smart. I was youth pastoring, and there were two other youth pastors, and so because this is Albemarle, we we would always call each other. I was. Pentecostal and they were Baptist. It was a strange mix. And we, we would talk about how our, our teenagers kept showing up at each other's youth groups. Now in church world, that's, that's like you start fighting over that kind of stuff. You will not take my people, right? What in the world? So we have lunch together and they're kind of, we're all kind of complaining like, I can't believe it. Like they weren't in my youth group because they went to your youth group. Yeah. It's because one of they had bigger muscles probably. And at one point I just said, you know, we could fight about this. Or we could be thrilled that teenagers want to be in church more than once a week. So when my kids come to your youth group, how about love them really well? And I'll do the same with yours. And so we start doing that. And we just kind of form this bond. And then we decide, let's have a big youth event. We don't know what to call it. We try to come up with some really cool names like Kaleidoscope, you know. Which now that I think about it, that's not even cool at all. (laughs) That's That's like a name of a bad ride at Carowinds. I just rode the kaleidoscope. (laughs) What? Anyway, we spent a lot of time over coffee trying to figure out a really cool name, and we couldn't think of something cool like The Ignition. Cut right, shout out. It was awesome. So we just said, at one point I just said, let's just call it that you thing. And they were like, why? I said, because you know at school the kids are going to be like, hey, are you going to go to that you thing tonight? (laughs) So we called it that you thing. And it just caught on. You know, we had like 400-some kids show up. It just it was a move of god you know and for like two or three years it was just an amazing thing that god did in our city among the teenagers and then i felt like god was calling me to step away from the church where i was serving full-time translation the salary and go on the road and speak and just go to youth camps translation love offering are you with me so far <laughs> my dad was a doctor translation doctor right <laughs> And he's, my dad was the most generous man I knew, you know. He was the most generous man I knew. He did did things that I never knew about. After he passed, people would come up to us and tell us things that he did, and we would just go, I never knew that, but doesn't surprise me, you know. Or sometimes on our worst days, we'd be like, that's why he didn't buy us a car. (laughs) (laughs) He gave it to you! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, sorry, i got to get there quicker than this. Um, so we step out in faith, like we, we resigned the position where we were and we, and I, you know, we had kids to at to that point and it was, it, it was a deal. And, um, I stepped into that youth thing full time, although I wasn't paid because I had somebody else I was paying to, to, and I was just going around speaking, just, you know, doing graphic design, whatever I could do, right? <laughs> to please, can I preach Jesus or make a logo for you? Please. Um, whatever I could do. But that you thing was nonprofit. It was tax deductible. I mean, it was the kind of thing that you could give to, and you could write it off on your taxes. And, you know, even for people that don't love Jesus, but just looking for something good to do with their money, find a place like that. Like this isn't aside from the message, but if you're not sure what about Jesus, but you're just looking for a tax write off, give your money to the Pregnancy Resource Center. Like just get a tax write off, right? God will change your heart. Because if you give money there, he'll change and take your heart there too. Like, find something good and do, do something good with your money. Anyway, the whole time, the whole first year, it is like hand to mouth, and sometimes it's an empty hand to the mouth, but in faith, hand to mouth. And I'm, and I'm getting madder and madder, and here's why. My dad never donated. My dad, y'all, the most generous man on the planet, never gave anything to that you thing. He would have us over for Sunday dinner, and we would like, you know, I would drop hints. It's like, he'd be like, So, son, how's it going? Well, you know, I'm preaching to a lot of people. They're giving me a lot of love, offerings. I think last week I preached to a couple hundred people. They gave me $25. But it's going great, Dad. Going great, Dad. Really thanks. Thanks for asking, Dad. By the way, we're tax deductible, Dad. <laughs> Just drop little hints, you know. Nothing. Nothing. I got so mad, so bitter. Never say anything to him about that, right? And then after the year, that first year was up, and I don't know what it was about that year, but some point towards the end of that year, God started speaking to me, and He said, "So, Paul, um, when you started that youth thing, did you did you feel nervous? It's like I mean a little, not too much, but a little." He said, "Why didn't you feel Why didn't you feel nervous, my dad?" I mean, my dad's going to bail me out. And he said, so which dad are you trusting? Oh, God, I hate when you talk to me like that, right? I hate when you're like, can't you just like be cryptic, right? <laughs> Why do I have to be so clear? But he really challenged me. And I remember after a year was up and we had my dad over, he was sitting at the, at. I mean, I can still see it in my mind. I'm at this end of the table. My dad's at that end of the table. And some point during dinner, I looked at my father, and I said, I need to thank you for something. And he said, for what? I said, well, I need to, th- literally, I need to thank you for nothing. <laughs> thank you. I, I don't know why you didn't give to that you thing. I don't know what, well, I don't understand that. I probably never will understand that, but I know this, that God used that year to teach me that you're not my supplier. And he must have stopped you because you're the most generous man I know. And thank you for being obedient because I now know that God will take care of me because he has taken care of us for a year without any money from you. See, when, when we say things like, Holy Spirit, lead me, it's not always into green pastures. Sometimes it's in the places that make us realize we need green pastures. I love you enough to tell you that. And, and where we're headed, man, I don't even have time to go into this. Yeah, next week probably. Well, was well, part two? But let me just let me just whet your appetite. Joseph named his second son Ephraim. I think I'm saying that right. And it meant because you have made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He named his child that when he was in the at the end of the fruitful years in Egypt and after he said you have made be fruitful in the land of affliction they went into seven years of famine the point here is we like to he didn't do this but we like to tell God how great he is in the good and we don't take that into the bad I believe that he named his son that at the end of the good years because he was carrying that revelation into the lean years now, I'm still going to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. You've made me fruitful, but you are also going to make me fruitful. And I feel like right now in our country, I need, because I'm a pastor, I get a microphone, I need to say to the American church, hey, God's been faithful, but we've been in the fruitful season. And we're fixing to go into a famine season, and he's still going to be faithful. He's still going to be faithful. He's still going to give us what we need. The Spirit allows us to come boldly before God and then live boldly before men. So we talk about Pierce, from Pierce to power. He gives us, he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be led by the Spirit. Not into either opposition or opportunity, but always into opportunity. Always into opportunity. And now we need to pray. And here's how we're going to do this, okay? I want to be very specific, if I can. I thought about saying, like, everybody stand up and let's all pray this prayer together. But if we're going to be faithful to the Scripture, the people that are praying this prayer are already in a place of, they would say, persecution because they've been arrested and called to account. I don't think we're being persecuted, but we're definitely in a place where we're being, there's a lot of pressure on the church. So I'd like us to pray this for those of you who are actually in a circumstance that you feel like is an obstacle. You feel like you're in opposition. You're, people are opposing you right now. Maybe at your workplace, it used to be okay to talk about Jesus, but now they're like, stop, right? Um, I think about... God, we, kind of stop thinking because it just leads me down these rabbit trails but I think about the Tampa Bay professional baseball players who like said to their employer we're not going to wear that patch right they're not trying to be jerks they're just like we we can't wear that that would be opposition are you with me and if you find yourself in a place like that then I'm calling you I can't make you but I'm calling you to pray Acts chapter 4 verse 29 That now that you're hearing the threats, you would tell God, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are and just put your hands out in front of you. And I'm going to close the service praying these two verses over you. Would you do that right now? Just stand where you are. Put your hands out in front of you. And we're just going to pray right now. I don't know what your threat is. But I believe that there are threats right now coming against the body of Christ. I'm just going to give you a few more minutes to respond, and then we're going to pray. You're facing threats. Maybe it's just the voice of the enemy has become so loud that it's consumed you. And you are so fearful of what he's saying that you've forgotten how faithful your father will be. It could be a job situation. It could be a relationship. It could be a lot of things. You have to know what that is. But I believe this, that when we pray this prayer that shook a city, the same thing that happened to them is going to happen to you. God's going to begin to shake your life and shake the things around you. And he's going to stretch his hand out to heal. He's going to do signs and wonders through the name of the Holy Servant Jesus. And you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to speak the word of God boldly. I want you to see that God answered their prayer. They prayed that he would help them speak the word with boldness. And they, that's how he answered. Filled them with the Holy Spirit so they could speak the word of God boldly. So now, Lord, here's what we do. We're just praying these two verses over these that have stood. Now, Lord, consider the threats that have been spoken against these, your servants, and enable your servants, these that are standing, God, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand. Hey, our hands are your hands. So stretch out our hands, Lord, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. God, I add this prayer to that. That you would fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit. That their minds would no longer see opposition, but they would see the opportunity of opposition. That you have given them a platform, even in pressure, even in what feels like persecution, you've given them a platform to speak the name of Jesus with great boldness. And I pray that the places where they go would be shaken as a result and that they would always find themselves full of the power of the Spirit and able to say boldly the name of Jesus. Because that's the name that sets us apart. That's the name that causes people to bow the knee. That's the name that calls people to a place where they have to decide what they will do with Jesus. And I pray that our our voices would never be diminished, God, because of what's going on around us, and that we would speak your word boldly. Shake our city through that prayer, we pray. In your name, Jesus, amen.